This talk is on the journey of the Magi, and we all know who the, the Magi are, right? We can kind of remember. We've all done it in primary school, the three kings. If you don't remember, I'm going to have to help you, all right? This, this should bring the memory back. Are you ready? We three kings of Orient are Field and fountain, moor and mountains, and an thunder star. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding. That's me. I didn't see your hand in that. Thank you very much. As you can tell, I still I don't really know the words, and I tried to learn those words for you, but I already forgotten them. But maybe that's brought it all back, the childhood memories of the three kings with their, you know, their presents that went down to the baby Jesus. And you know, maybe you got to be, did anybody get to be a king in any nativity? Wow, loads of you. Well done. Anybody a star? Anybody get to be a star? Oh, that's good. Anybody a shepherd? <laughs> Dave, are you in every nativity? Dave's put his hand up for all of them. <laughs> Most important of all, who's been the baby Jesus? <laughs> Nobody's been baby Jesus. Because in my, in my church, they had literally a baby every year. The, the newborn baby of the church would be the baby Jesus. All right, okay, nobody's been the baby Jesus. Your kids were... Okay, so you've been Mary then. Who's been Mary? And Joseph. And Dave has been again. Congratulations on being every character except the baby Jesus. Well done, everybody. But I hope you're being memories flooding back of exactly who the three kings are. They traveled afar um, and they went to find Jesus. I don't know if there's... Often you also find out sometimes they mention that it didn't take them, you know, 20 minutes from seeing the star to get to Jesus. In fact, it took them two years, two years to find Jesus, two years. I told this to the people that I got this um, costume from. I said, you know, well, I traveled maybe a, a load of hours, but they traveled two years. Didn't help. They also didn't understand why I was starting to preach at them. I was, anyway, story for another time. But um, yeah, so they, the Magi took two years to get there. And what we want to pull out of this story of the real hard, brutal journey the Magi took to find the baby Jesus is to ask the question, what were they searching for, so that we can answer the question, what are we searching for? What are we searching for? Are we searching for a star, or are we searching for something else? Now, I don't want this to distract you for the whole way through this talk, so I'm going to try to take it off, but I don't know... Oh, I feel like the crowd is against it. Well, maybe two people in the crowd is against it. There's like Velcro at the back, so I kind of thought maybe I could like... No, it's not going to work. No, no, no. Okay, here we go. Wait. Ah. It's gone. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll leave it down here for later. No, we'll leave it in the middle. Um, but hopefully you'll still remember. But the, the Magi were traveling to find the star that pointed them towards Jesus. Why is a very good question, given that they were from outside of the normal kingdom where Jesus was born. They're from miles and miles away. Like it took them two years to get there on camels. So they, it was quite far away. And yet they were putting together 
pieces of, of scholarship and scrolls and navigating by the stars to find Jesus. So they had to really want it. And I think we'll start to unpack this, but I, wanna, I want us to start as first thinking, what, what do we work so hard to find? What are we really searching for? Kind of, why are you all here? I mean, it's lovely to see you and all, but what got you here? Why did you leave the house on what is a bitterly cold November night? I mean, I genuinely didn't think there'd be that many people turn up today because I was like, it's raining and cold, and why would anyone leave the house? But what are you searching for? Why did you come here? What are you searching for in your daily life? What are you looking for to affirm you? Those magi, we all know the story, they're looking for Jesus. A good question is why. Why are you searching for what you're searching for? What affirmation are you looking for? I want to start to get a little bit deeper tonight. Just a little bit deeper. Into why are you doing the things that you're doing? Many of you might be students. What are you looking for out of your degree? What, why are you here? Why did you leave home to come and study some of the most random subjects like sociology? Why, 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 would, anyone, why would anyone do that? I mean, what, that was a low blow. Sorry, Eddie. <laughs> I really sorry. I didn't even think of saying sociology, and they just came to me. It was sociology, lowest to the low. <laughs> sorry, Eddie, no, sociology is great. But why would you come all this way to study something like sociology or history or English lit or the sciences or medicine or the ones we think that are really important, like law? Why come all the way to study these things? Or if you're not a student, why are you in your job? What gets you up in the morning? Why are you in the relationship you're in? What are you searching for? What are you searching for? Now, it may seem obvious, these answers, oh, well, I want a degree because I want to get a job, and, but I want to get us a little bit deeper, just underneath that, just underneath that. What are you actually looking for? Because I've got a confession to make. You, is this a safe space? I don't know if this is it. I feel, no, I feel like you've applauded me enough already. It's probably a safe space. Okay. I am a recovering academic. I have been studying for seven years. Seven, the same subject. Seriously, the same. I've been studying history for seven years. Can you imagine how bored I am with history? <laughs> and they pay me to study it now. And I am so bored. Um, I mean, it's great. But seriously, after seven years of studying the same thing, I've got to the point at which I'm like, what am I searching for at this? This last year, I've been looking for what? What is it in this that's brought me to study this so deeply? And I'm not talking about just seven years, you know, including school and everything. Seven years since the beginning of undergraduate study. I'm in the third year of my PhD now. I'm studying the history of... Africa and global health and medical mission and all these different kind of things. I'm studying the history of international politics. And I, and I have to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into why things happen in the world. I have to ask questions. In my daily life is a lot of asking questions why stuff happens. Why is a lot of Africa really poor? Why is China getting really powerful? Why has America conquered so much of the world in its own strange way? I have to ask, what, what happened? To, why does the British Empire exist? All these questions are what I constantly are answering. And it, you get to the point when you're doing that, and you're like, but why? 
why do we, why do we care? Why, are we why am I still asking these questions? What am I searching for? What meaning do I want out of this? I've been doing this for so long. What, what am I looking to affirm me? We've all got things in our lives that affirm us. You know, we're all searching for, I think we're all searching for something to, to validate something about us. Maybe it's a relationship that you feel like, ah, oh, I'm in this relationship now. This person's going to validate me. This boyfriend, this girlfriend, this husband, this wife. You can go through so much of your life saying, this person will make me feel safe, secure, like I'm worth something. And so people search for so long for the one, the perfect one, right? You see it on things like X Factor and Strictly Come Dancing. People are searching for validation from the public, you know, and we love watching it. You know, it's the classic thing of the journey, the J word. We love seeing them search to get that dance all right, perfect. We love seeing the guy with the stutter who learns to sing on a huge stage. We love seeing people search. But today, I want us to shine the spotlight on ourselves and ask, us, ask ourselves, why are we searching for this stuff? Why are we searching for it? You know, it may not be a relationship for you. Maybe it is a degree. What is it? What meaning are you looking for in the jobs you're doing? Are you looking for a parent to validate you? What affirmation are you striving for? What, get, what wakes you up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, but if that person saw me do this, then, oh, then I could, how could I get up in the morning? We can so easily find ourselves down a very long road, a very long road of study, for example, and get right to the end of it and think, what did I, what did I even earn? What did I get out of this? You know, this is a classic thing of these businessmen who get to the right to the top of the ladder and realize that it was the wrong ladder. And they're like, well, I, I can't go down now. I'm in my mid-50s now, my 60s, and I'm up here and I've got a load of money, but what do I have? Maybe you guys are the right at the beginning of a journey looking for something, looking to be someone impressive, someone important. Maybe you're looking to be in control because maybe control's been taken away from you. Maybe you're looking to secure your own comfort because life just seems too hard. I don't know if I... Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm touching on something with you. Maybe I'm not, but I need to keep looking. What is it that you're searching for? I keep thinking over it as I'm talking because... Once we can shine a light on it, once we can look at this thing, we can start to ask that really important question of why. And if we can ask that, we can maybe question if it's the best road for us. If it's waking us up in the middle of the night, if, it's, if, this, if it's the validation for this person is torturing us, if this essay not being on time or not being good enough is what is driving us to distraction and to anxiety and to fear, I want to ask you the question, why? What is underneath this? What do you want? What are you searching for? You know, we can be lost in so many ways. We can be lost spiritually, emotionally. We can be lost physically. We cannot know why we get up in the morning, why we go to work. I'll tell you a story of when I was lost. And this is a physical loss, right? So I was in the West African city of Accra in Ghana, right? That may seem random, but the point about I, I study Ghana, I study Africa, right? So I had to go on a research trip there. And I've been once before. It was about a year ago. And um, I, 
I got, I flew in, and I was supposed to be, I was staying with uh, my parents of a friend of mine, but he wasn't going to be there. He picked me up before. Anyway, I arrive in the city, not really knowing quite who's picking me up. I, I got it. I flew in about sort of half eight at night, and I leave the airport doors, right? And all I had was a scrap of paper saying the house that I was supposed to be staying in. And I kind of knew the people. Like, it was legit. Like, and I was like, oh, I hadn't really communicated with them. I'll be honest, right now, this was all my fault, right? Everything that happens from here on in was my fault, okay? I had this scrap of paper, and I was like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to get a taxi to find them. That was not true. If I'd, if, when I'd left the airport, I'd gone left, right? I would have seen my host family waiting there for me to take me off the plane into, you know, into a place I didn't know at night and take me home, okay? But I didn't turn left. I turned right towards the taxi rank. A fateful decision got into a taxi and said, do you know where this is? And the guy went, yeah, yeah absolutely. I know where that is. I 100% know where that is. All right, tip, okay? If you're ever in Ghana or probably most West African cities, most taxi drivers don't have sat-navs and they don't know where they're going unless you kind of do, okay? He had no clue where this house was but was very keen for me to give him money. So, got in the taxi and he started driving and he was like, yeah, I was like, it's near Azamurjan's house, which is like this Ghanaian footballer. And I was like, it's near his house. And the taxi driver was like, yeah, yeah, I know where it is. He gets on the motorway. And we're driving for about half an hour before he starts to get really scared because I don't know where I'm going and he also doesn't know where he's going and we've started to both realize that the other person isn't really in charge, right? Roll forward another hour and we're still driving and this is at night, right? And he's starting to panic because he's got this kid in the car with him who doesn't know where he's supposed to be. He's only been in the city three hours, right? And, he's, and some places in the city are not that well street lit. So he's driving into shanty towns, into roadside shacks, to ask for directions to Azamur Jan's house, the Ghanaian national football team's captain, right? And shock horror, people that work in these shanty town shacks selling like juice have no idea where this person lives. They do not know the district of the mansions. They do not know anything. So we're like, we're still driving, and it's another half an hour. I've been two hours in this car with this guy now, and there is no way I know what's happening. I'd like to drop in another thing that I did wrong. Also, I didn't really charge my phone, so I had 1% of battery. And my phone didn't even work in Ghana yet. So things were looking pretty scary. I have never prayed so hard than when I was this lost. I was so scared. At one point, the guy, he, he pulls up like right into a shantytown. So he drives off the motorway into a shantytown, which is not lit, and stops the car and gets out and disappears. I am sat in, in the side seat of this car being like, looking in the mirror being like, I have, Jesus, you have to come through for me now. Like, God, please help me. Please, you have to do this. This is, you, you, this is your it's you doing that. You've got to sort this out now. Uh, I don't know why I thought I could bully the Almighty into helping me. But at this point, I was like, I was going to try anything. I was going to blackmail Jesus. I was like, you know, if you don't do this for me, well, all the things I do for you, I am so scared. <laughs> oh, my word. I was the, honestly the most scared I've ever been. Right? I'm looking in the back window and I'm looking out and the guy is not anywhere around. And I'm like, there are shadows moving around. 
Because you're just like, poor people. I don't think they wanted to attack me. But my word, is it scary when you just don't know what's happening? We're still driving. And I'm like, I'm praying so hard. And again, this poor old taxi driver is sweating, being like, no check is worth this. <laughs> no foreigner's money can be worth this. Right? And I've got this 1% of battery. And then, bam, suddenly, a text comes through from my host family. How? I do not know. It was miraculous. I genuinely think, how did it happen? Anyway, the text came through on whatever magic network God was using to get a text through to me, and it, and it had the num their number, so the, the taxi driver could call them. He immediately calls them, and we find a place, and the host family like, who, what the heck is wrong with you? Do, do you what, why did you do this to us? And the taxi driver, I gave him like all the money I had. Apparently, I gave him a quarter of a month's wages, which is a fair amount. It was only about 30 quid. But anyway, so seriously, but it was a lot of, he was very happy, and he kind of got over it in the end. That was the most scared and most lost I have ever been. And honestly, that pales in comparison to how we feel when we're lost emotionally, spiritually, mentally. We just don't know where to turn. We feel like everyone around us is giving us false information. And if there was anyone driving, maybe, a, maybe our parents, maybe your dad, maybe your mum, sometimes it feels like when we're far away from home that there's no one in the driving seat anymore. It's just us. Lying abed awake at night thinking, what do I do next? Where do I go from here? Maybe you've just started uni and things are all new anyway and you're just like going along with the current. And so you've, you know, these things haven't started to question for you. Maybe you're right at the end and you're like, there is a cliff edge at the end of third year. What am I supposed to do with it? Or maybe you're just in a dead-end job and you're like, what am I supposed to do with my life? I kind of thought if I worked hard and got these things sorted and, and you know, I'm, I'm trying my best and it's just going nowhere. When we're lost spiritually and emotionally, it's harder than me sitting in that taxi. It's harder. We used to have in our culture an idea of something called pilgrimage. And it was like, a, it was a journey people, we don't really do it anymore, but it was a journey people took to go to some like holy city or some holy place to find answers. Don't really do it anymore. We'd probably find answers, I don't know, Wikipedia or something. We find answers somewhere else. But we used to have these pilgrimages. And Muslims still do them. I don't know if you've heard of the Hajj. It's about two million Muslims every year make the annual pilgrimage to Mecca. These are pretty hard treks, but two years ago, about 700 Muslims died doing the Hajj. Like, this is, this is pretty serious stuff. Pilgrimages people take deadly seriously. And these are journeys where people find themselves. It's like your gap year in Thailand, where you got a tattoo of something, I don't know. People apparently get tattoos of Buddha, and then, and which is apparently offensive to the local police, I learned yesterday, so they get, then get arrested. Um, but... People go on lots of, they go on gap years or they go on long journeys to like find themselves, this, this style of pilgrimage. But I feel like we've lost this a bit, this cultural thing of pilgrimage. You imagine like Gandalf the Grey. Do you remember you know, in Lord of the Rings where he goes on his, his long quest and then he finally gets to fighting that big fire monster and he becomes Gandalf the White. And there's this thing of like Gandalf, <laughs> yeah, the fire monster, you know what I mean. I think he's called a Balrog. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks, mate. Um, he, on this pilgrimage is supposed to be something that changes you. These journeys to seek something, seek 
you're not sure where you're quite getting. You're trying to get to a special place. And they're supposed to change you. It's supposed to give you a, sen a new sense of purpose. You know, the, the, the old pilgrims used to take staffs along the way with them. And they'd mark the staffs everywhere they went so they could kind of track the journey, the like, emotional, spiritual, but also physical journey they were taking. And at the end of the journey, they'd crack the staff and throw it into the river where they'd, where they'd arrived. Because the journey had shaped them. They were marking their staff as the journey was marking them. The, this style of pilgrimage, where you find yourself, is what I think we see in the journey of the Magi. A journey for people, these, these guys, I don't know if there was actually three of them. We don't really know. These guys were looking for answers. They were looking for meaning. And we can kind of tell, I think, that they start quite lost now, seeing as you've only probably generally heard of this story, maybe if you're good at reading the Bible, you've read it in the Bible, generally only heard it in nativities, I want us to read the original text that actually explains to us who the Magi were and where we get them from. And that's in the Gospel of Matthew, and there are Bibles around you. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, because I want you to see where it is within the book, right? So it's in the Gospel of Matthew, which is written about the life of Jesus. And it's right at the beginning, and it's Matthew 2. And it's the start of Matthew 2. This is the first chapter of Matthew 2. Have we got a page, Adam? 676. On page 676. I've got it on, that's in the white Bibles. Or you, you can find it on your phone. But recognize it's within a context. This is part of an overall narrative. It's just one of the stories about people seeking Jesus. Um, can I actually have that Bible? That was actually the one I was going to pick. Thanks. Um, Sorry, Adam. Share one. Right. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's our guys, that's the three kings, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Then King Herod like, brings a load of people together. I'm not going to read that bit. Um, King Herod is scared by this, basically. Then Herod called the Magi again, secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, that's the Magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped was over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their classic treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and you all know the last one, it's myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's the story of the Magi. That's the, like, the best, best like, ancient text of what we have of actually who these guys were. Some people think they were Zoroastrians, which is a kind of religion. But my guess, actually, is that they were, just, they were the sort of scholars who just took anything they could to find their search for meaning. These were people studying their whole lives. I don't, there's nowhere, actually, that says that they were kings. Someone just made that up at one point, probably in a sermon like this. Um, and they, but they are, what we actually know about them is that they were, they were piecing together bits of Jewish scripture, but also celestial navigation, 
bits of things they'd heard and texts and people they met, like Herod. They were making a long trek, like a pilgrimage, to find the person that they thought was going to be the king of all Israel. These guys weren't classic Israelites like you find in the Old Testament. These weren't, these weren't the sort of normal people that turn up in the Bible. They weren't particularly, I don't think, holy people. They weren't people that really knew who God was, which is why I really like that the writer of the gospel sticks this story in there. Because there's got to be loads of people that went to try and find Jesus. The other one we all know is the shepherds. But the Magi are a weird one. They're these strange men, I'm pretty sure they're all men, who came two years across the desert because they'd seen some bits of scripture and bits of text, and they were looking for some kind of meaning, some kind of, there's the king here, and he's on his, and he's on his way, and we want to know who this king is because it's important. They come all this way, and they don't do anything particularly special, I don't think. You know, these pilgrimages we talk about, at the end, they threw away their staffs. And what's amazing about the Magi is that they don't get anything out of the arrival of seeing Jesus. They give over the stuff they have. And this this pilgrimage of it shaped them. They give over everything they have because the whole journey has been about discovery. And what do we find in it? We find the classic thing of the baby Jesus lying in the manger. I don't think that's that impressive. I don't know about you, but if I was writing this text, I'd probably miss out this stuff, right? Because if you don't know who Jesus is, often people think of Jesus as a great teacher, right? People think, oh, well, you know, even if he's not God, the Christians believe him to be God. He, he said some good stuff, right? He said some nice things. So, but why stick a story about Jesus just being a baby at the beginning? Because Jesus doesn't do anything impressive here. Presumably, he just lay there. There's no magic moment where the Magi finally get to the manger and Jesus sits up and goes, here is the answer you're looking for. Here is the ancient scroll that gives you all your meaning. No. They come across the desert. They get to a baby. They give him some gifts that he can't use. And then they go home. They just go home. That was it. That was their pilgrimage. That was their long quest for meaning. They go they arrive, they give their gifts, and they go home. There's a poet called T.S. Eliot who loved the journey of the Magi, and he uses it often in his writing to describe his own, his own experience of meeting God, meeting Jesus Christ for the first time. And he talks about how the Magi must have gone back and felt like it was an alien people they'd returned to, clutching gods they no longer understood. Because he says that, he talks about how our exploring is where we change the most, and our going back is where we see that change. Eliot said that we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. The journey of the Magi was not to get an answer in an ancient scroll. Their search for meaning was not to get a piece of something that said, this is the meaning of life, this is why you're living like this. The journey itself was the point. The journey itself to find this baby. Reminds me of in um, The Simpsons. You know in The Simpsons where Homer Simpson meets God. 
And God is this big, beardy figure in the sky. I think Homer's like died in this episode or something. Don't worry, he's back the next one. Anyway, he's died and he meets God. And right at the end of the episode, he asks God, what is the meaning of life? And as God is about to answer, the credits roll and we never find out, right? The classic thing, what is the meaning of life? There is an answer, but we don't know. But I think what this story shows us is actually something slightly different going on here. Something slightly different to an answer that we could reel off before the credits roll. An answer that's put down on an ancient scroll. An answer in a song or in a book or an answer that your parents can give you, or an answer that an academic or a a supervisor can give you, or your boss, or a paycheck. There is no answer written down on a piece of paper that's going to satisfy this quest for meaning. What the Magi found, these men who were lost, these men looking for an answer, what they found was a person. And that person didn't say anything to them to satisfy their longing. Something else happened. Something else happened. And I don't know where you are on your journey of looking for meaning. Don't know where you are and if you feel lost, if you know what's going, where you feel like you've got life sorted or you feel like it's spooling out of control. But honestly, you're not going to find the answer, the answer to your meaning written down somewhere. The Magi and me too found it in the person of Jesus. Not a person that gives us glib answers to how we're feeling or what's going on. Not a person who just says, well, it's okay because, you know, this, is, this has got it sorted. Not a person of quick fixes. These magi traveled a long way to find him. This is not a quick fix solution. This Jesus is someone to meet. This Jesus is a person The story is about God made man. God meeting us. Meeting us in the muck and mire of life. Meeting us in the hard and brutal journey in a stable that had nothing together. In a story which was a mess. Born to a people, a couple that did not know what was going on. In a situation of persecution with a terrified king out to get him. This Jesus was not one who came with a quick fix answer, but came to meet you and came to know you. If your search is for meaning, if you feel like you're lost, today, ask him in. Ask Jesus in. Look for him. Now, the thing is, in the story, Jesus is just a baby lying there. But the back story is a story of God restoring creation. A story of God restoring what he promised to his people. Restoring not only to them, but to the whole world. And actually, the Magi had come two years across, but Jesus' real search was for them. And Jesus' real search is for you. As a quick story, I want to say that I think encapsulates this perfectly. Imagine there's a king, right? And the king is in his castle, and he's looking over the parapet. And he looks down into a village, and he sees there a poor maiden. Instantly, he falls in love. 
She'll be my queen, he says. This is my queen. This is my queen. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. She might be a poor villager. I don't care. This is my queen. So the king goes to his advisors and says, right, tomorrow, can you bring up that, uh, the maiden, the girl? I want her to make her my queen. We'll bring her into the castle. We'll coronate her. and She will rule alongside me. That night, the king is asleep, and he wakes up in the middle of the night. She can't be my queen. Because if she comes to the castle, there'll always be a sense of debt. There'll never be a bond of love between us because she'll always feel like she owes me something. She can never just come into the castle and be my queen. It won't work. So the next day, he goes to his advisors, and he says, it's not going to work. Better idea. Tomorrow, take all the chariots of the kingdom, and we go out with our pomp and ceremony, our flags and trumpets, and we go down to the village, and we'll meet her. And with the awe and wonder of the kingdom, we'll blow her mind. Then she can, she can be my queen in some sense because she'll always see this majesty and wonder and she'll never think there's a difference between us because she'll be so excited and joyful her entire life, so happy. Goes to bed that night, falls asleep, and then in the middle of the night he wakes up again. I won't work. Because if she spends her whole life in awe and wonder, she'll never be able to love me back. She'll never be able to say, I love you, when I say, I love her. There'll never be a proper bond of love between us. So the king goes to the advisor the next morning and says, okay, I've got a new plan. And he takes off his king's robes. And he gives back his scepter and he puts down his crown. And he goes and gets the rags of a slave. And he walks down out of the castle. And he says, I won't be back for some time. He walks down into the village. And he sees the maiden just in front of him in rags as poor as his own. And he says, hi, can I get to know you? That is the Jesus, that is the God that we're talking about. One that doesn't just let us search across deserts for him when we're lost, but seeks us out too. Because he wants a relationship with you. Don't know where you look for your affirmation, I don't know where you look for your meaning. But find in Jesus someone seeking who loves you, and he'll transcend that. Because we all kind of get it deep down the best stuff of life, the love, the faith, the hope, the true stuff of life isn't found on pieces of scroll, isn't found in songs. It's found in a relationship. And honestly, this one will change your life.